Amen. Well, um, today, kind of where I want to go with my one-hit wonder is I want to continue talking about, um, well, a few weeks ago, I, I, I kind of I started talking about the fivefold ministry, and everybody remembers that, yeah? And, and I just began to talk about some of the key characteristics of what it looks like um, to be in an apostolic environment. An apostolic culture, and again, let me, you know, especially if you're a guest today, let me let me clarify that term apostolic. I do not mean the apostolic Pentecostal church movement denomination. I'm talking about apostolic as it, as we see it in the uh, the lives of the apostles in the Bible, the ministry in which they uh, produced as gifts from the Lord. And so, um, so I, I, I talked a few weeks ago about what an apostolic culture and environment is it looks like and if you remember one of the key characteristics that I shared of an apostolic um, culture or environment is that it is heavenly more than earthly not that it's not earthly but it's more heavenly than it is earthly and so what happens is things like worship and supernatural activity become priorities in this environment. And not only does it become a priority in our environment, but it also then becomes a priority in the lifestyle of us, the people of God. So you remember that, right? Because God's presence is the thing that is the top priority in our life. Come on, more people need to say amen to that. God's presence is our top priority. So, if we were to describe the opposite of an apostolic environment and culture, it would be more earthly than heavenly, right? And then the presence of people become the top priority. Top. So if the presence of people becomes the top priority in our, our environment, then what begins to happen? Well, it's what Bill Roberts shared a few months ago. It becomes the creation of a consumer mentality. You see, when the presence of people and the things of the earth become the top priority, it affects everything we do. And it affects how we do it. And as we bend to consumerism, it begins to affect even how we preach the Bible. It affects um, the way we ask people to honor the Lord when it comes to giving. It even affects when and how we pray for people, if at all. It affects the use of the gifts of the Spirit, if at all. And it most certainly affects the way we worship God. And I want you to know that this is not a small issue. Not in the Western church. It is not a small issue in the Western church. You see, man-centered, earthly-focused, consumer-based churches are the mainstay in America right now. And I want you to know that even here at New Covenant, we have not escaped its narcissistic pool. You know, several years ago, Eric and I, we, uh, we launched into a discussion for months about what kind of church are we going to be? What are we going to be known for in the community? 
You know, and, and you'd think that after being in existence for 10 plus years, you'd have that figured out, right? You'd have the answer, but, but we were asking ourselves that question. And if you didn't know this, Eric and I, are, are, we are students of leadership. We are students of greater leaders than us. People who have done it better. And great leaders ask the question, what am I going to stand for? What am I going to be known for? And we wrestled with that question. You see, because we knew that if we tamed our worship and if we shortened our service, that we could get more bodies in the door. I mean, that's what consumers want. Easy worship, short service times. And we could certainly give that to them. But we kept searching and we kept praying and we kept talking and we, we kept listening to, we went back to our prophetic words and from way in the beginning of our church until one day we finally knew what we had to do. We knew that we had to stand tall and we had to stand proud of who we were. Of who God had called us to be. A church full of young, radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God. Who are called to be forerunners in this region for the coming move of God. You see, we believe God put us on the map because He needed someone to stand in the gap for a young generation. He needed someone who will stand in the gap for an orphaned generation. That has a spirit of death all over it. He needed someone who would turn their hearts to sons and daughters. God put us on the map because he needed someone who would raise a banner for extravagant worship. For prophetic worship. So that God may receive what is due to him. And God put us on the map because there is a message we must proclaim. Holiness, identity, love, sacrifice, honor. These are the things that, that we must shout from every street corner in this city and county. In every office space, every classroom, every sporting event, every home of every family in our city needs to hear that message. That God stands alone and that we are to lavish our love upon him. That we are to lavish our love and to serve him no matter what it costs us. But these are unpopular statements. In the consumer-based church, in the consumer-based culture we live in, these are unpopular things. And while Eric and I made that resolution, we said that this is who we are in our hearts. The pull of people is sometimes hard to resist. And I believe that that is why the Lord gently and lovingly said, 
It's time to change your leadership style. It's time to trade baby bottles for hand grenades. See, I believe that what the Lord was saying was that I know who you are and what I've called you to do. But you're not living up to that potential yet. So here's a little nudge to give you permission to make some minor changes that are going to have a major impact. Can someone say amen? So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about a minor change as it relates to our worship time. As I stated earlier, for years we have been a church that has raised the banner for extravagant prophetic worship. And as I've read and studied, um, it has been probably one of my most passionate pursuits this thing of, of the restoration of the tabernacle of David has been a burning fire in my heart since the formation of our church. In fact, in the book of Amos, if you'll turn to chapter 9, there's a prophecy talking about the tabernacle of David. It says in Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 12, it says, On that day, meaning in the last days, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. And I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. Now, I am not going to teach what all of that means. But I will mention that prophetic worship is part of the foundation of David's tabernacle. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 1. It says, moreover, I'm reading from New King James, Moreover, David and the captains of the army separated for the service some of the sons of Asaph, of Heman, and Jeduthun, who should prophesy with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals. Now, some other facts about David's tabernacle is that he had 288 full-time singers and musicians. And, and their job only in life was to stand before the Ark of the Covenant, who wasn't hidden behind a, a, a veil in the temple, but was actually in this tent that David pitched in his backyard. And their job was to stand 24 hours a day through shifts. They would have a different band, a group of singers and musicians come in. But they were, their only job in life was to stand before this presence of the Lord and minister before him in song, in praise. And that happened 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 33 years. And they were instructed on how to prophesy with their instruments by Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun. Now let's look at another guy, 1 Chronicles 15. Go back a few chapters, and we're going to read in verse 22. I'm going to read this out of King James. It says, And Cananiah, chief of the Levites, was for song. He instructed about the song because he was skillful. Again, that's 1 Chronicles 15, 22. Now, there's something interesting, if we can get that scripture up in King James. It says, Kenaniah, chief of the Levites, was for song. Now that word song is interesting. In the Hebrew, it's this word, Massah, M-A-S-S-A. 
And what does that word mean? Does it mean la, 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 la? No, it doesn't. It actually means prophetic burden. Look it up in Strong's. Massah. So Kenaniah, chief of the Levites, was for the prophetic burden, and he instructed about the prophetic burden to the singers because he was skillful. So from this passage, we can see that Kenaniah, we've got, first of all, we've got Asaph, Jeduthun, and Heman. They're, they're taking care of the musicians, teaching them how to prophesy with the, the drums and the guitars and the piano and all that. And we've got Kenaniah, who's teaching the singers how to sing prophetically before the Lord. How to carry that prophetic burden of the Lord and prophesy in song. Now, it has been these two truths, among others, that I have continually tried to teach and encourage our worship teams throughout the years. Biblical worship has been and will always be inherently prophetic. Okay? This is important. It is not something that we add to worship. It is the nature of worship itself. If it's not prophetic, it's not because it's not. If you experience worship and there's not a prophetic anointing on it, it's not because worship isn't prophetic. It's because those who are leading it are not tuned in. They don't even maybe know it's available. King David of Israel walked in the anointing of a prophet, priest, and king. And he was the architect of worship because he was a man after God's own heart. And God entrusted David with the blueprints of how God wanted to be worshipped. He laid it out. He said, this is how you worship me. So it's easy to say that David functioned in the anointing of both an apostle and a prophet. When it comes to the area of worship. So when we see in when, when we say an apostolic environment places high value on worship and the presence of God, well, we can see why. It's been that way since David. So, the nature of worship is prophetic, and that means that anyone can participate in prophetic worship. You don't have to be a prophet to engage in prophetic worship. It's an anointing that falls on everyone. Anyone who chooses to enter into it. And that is why during our worship times, many people hear and see things in the spirit realm. The corporate prophetic anointing that the worship team up here is cultivating falls on all of us here in the room. Are you tracking with me? I'm teaching you something, okay? And I'm getting somewhere, I promise. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 5 through 7. This is an example of what I'm talking about. How the, the prophetic anointing corporately can touch us. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 5, it says, and this is the prophet Samuel. He's talking to Saul, King Saul of Israel. He's made several, he's, he's given him several directions, and then he's giving him this one. It says, After that, you will go to Gabeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place, and they're going to be jamming out. They're going to have guitars and tambourines and flutes and harps, and they'll be playing them, and they're going to be prophesying as they're doing their music thing. Now, here's the thing. Verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them. 
and you will be changed into a different person. And once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Now skip to verse 9. It says that as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When they arrived at Gabeah, a procession of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. And when all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying... With the prophets, they asked each other, and they said, What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? So what we see is an example here where Saul, who wasn't a prophet, was able to function in the anointing of prophecy when he came into the presence of prophetic minstrels. That's what this group of people were, prophetic minstrels, traveling musicians, playing, singing, and prophesying. The same thing applies to us today. So how does this relate to where we are now? Well, the thing about prophetic nature of worship is that it's not so much prophetic in its predicting of the future. Okay, that's not what what I'm talking about. But it's more prophetic in the forth-telling. That is, what is happening when we launch off into some of these spontaneous songs. When we start to sing out of our spirit, we begin to tell forth what we hear the Holy Spirit say. What we hear the Holy Spirit singing. What we hear the Lord cueing us in on. And we begin to put that out in a prophetic song. And it's when we start singing songs that we, we don't have the words up here. Now, when we engage in prophetic worship in this way, we begin to declare things in song on behalf of the Holy Spirit. So as a worship team, we hear the Lord say something, and then we repeat it in song. Now, I realize you're going, what's this got to do with anything? I just like it when you sing. Well, you need to know. You know, as a musician, we hear melodies of notes and we play them. And both are legitimate ways to speak on behalf of the Lord in prophetic worship. Now, here's the the interesting thing is that as we individually come under the corporate prophetic anointing, what happens is we each uniquely function according to how we are wired by God. Okay? For instance, and I'm just going to pick on a few people. For instance, Barb and Larry Cloud, they are wired for healing and they're wired for deliverance. So when the corporate prophetic anointing falls and it starts to touch their hearts and God begins to speak, how do you think God is speaking to And through them. He speaks through their grid. He speaks through their value system. He speaks through their ministry gift. And so God speaks to them about people needing healing. Words of knowledge concerning pain or some deliverance begins to come forth. Amen? What about our buddy Mike Brown? He's an encourager. He's an evangelist. He's also our lead vocalist. So how does the prophetic anointing move through Mike? We hear song after song after song about how God loves me. God cares for me. God is working on my behalf. God is pleased with me. Affirmation after after affirmation. God loves me just the way I am. 
Are those the words of an encourager? Doesn't that sound like an evangelist? Of course it does. What about Eric? Eric's a pastor. His grid, part of it, his value system is protecting the sheep. Caring for the sheep. He's thinking about is what's going to be said safe for the sheep? Will they understand? He carries other values like look inside your heart. What do you need from God? God loves you. God cares for you. These are the things a pastor thinks. And what about people like Alger or Tina Lenz? Prophetic people. When the anointing falls, they see things. And they start to describe them for us. They call us to respond to God in specific ways. And they feel a great burden to Offer something to God. And of course, they prophesy and they declare words from the Lord. But their primary concern is for the Lord many times over what the people think. Now, I say this not to pigeonhole or compartmentalize or minimize anyone in their gift. We are all very dynamic people with a great capacity to hear and move in God. But the majority of the time, we hear God through the filter of our value system. Through our gifts, through our callings, through the things that motivate us. So what does all this mean? For our worship times. Well, because we have just a plethora of pastoral and evangelistic anointings speaking on behalf of God, sometimes our worship can tend to lean towards being me focused. You see, because pastors and evangelists and, and, and those who resonate with those anointings are focused more on the people, our worship can kind of lean in that direction. And what I'm proposing is that we begin to make a minor shift in our worship. And that we begin to put a little more emphasis back on the Lord. Instead of coming to worship to get something, I believe there's a grow up thing that's gotta happen. And that we start coming to give something. Let's, let's. Now, I want you to know there is nothing wrong with pastoral or evangelistic anointed worship. Nothing wrong with it influencing the prophetic worship that we engage in. What I'm saying is that we need to shift towards more of an apostolic revelation in our worship. What we need is we need to add to. Everybody say add to. We need to add to what we've already been doing well so far. Now, some of you may be saying, well, isn't worship being about being focused on God anyway? I mean, that's what we're doing, right? 
Well, the answer is yes, but we can quickly move our needs and ourselves to the center of our worship times. So what do I mean when I say apostolic worship? Well, as I've shared before, pastors and evangelists are focused on the earth and the people who live there. Apostles and prophets, as I have shared, they are focused on heaven. And with, with being focused on heaven, then they ultimately are focused on the one who lives there. Now, in pastoral and evangelistic-led worship, we stand before hundreds. In apostolic worship, we stand before one. In pastoral and evangelistic worship, we are concerned with how the masses are taking this all in. In apostolic worship, we're mostly interested in the Lord receiving his due praise. When we sing songs from a pastoral and evangelistic anointing, we sing of the Lord's great love for us. When we sing prophetic songs from an apostolic anointing, we sing of our love for him. Neither approach is wrong. Whether it's pastoral and evangelistic-led worship or it's prophetic and apostolic-led worship, the truth is we need to engage in worship on every single level. So turn in your Bible to Isaiah 59. Because I want to continue to make some, a difference here, a distinction. I want to talk about two aspects of the Lord. One being the hand or arm of the Lord versus the face of the Lord. Now Isaiah 59, 1 says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. I'll say that again. Isaiah 59.1. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. Joshua chapter 4, verse 24. I know we, if you get a chance to write it down, write it down if we don't see him. But Joshua 4.24, it says, He did this so that all the peoples, he, God, did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And so that you might always fear the Lord your God. And then quickly again in Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So what's my point? When we read about the hand or the arm of the Lord, it is mostly found in the context of works. The Lord's hand saves, right? The Lord's hand is powerful. The Lord's hand is prevalent in the ministry of the early church as they spread the gospel. And that's a good thing. Say, the hand of God is a good thing. And scripture tells us that we should praise the Lord for his mighty acts. Psalm 145 Verse 3, it says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. 
It is good to sing about God. It is good to sing and celebrate the hand of the Lord and testify of his greatness. But when, what can happen in an environment where we almost exclusively are seeking the hand or arm of the Lord is we become need-focused. And we ultimately become me-focused. And as pastors and evangelists lead worship in that environment, suddenly the goal is primarily to manifest the hand of the Lord. And whether it's in prophetic singing or prophetic words, we know this worship time will eventually end in people becoming the focus of God's love and his help. Let's think of it from God's perspective for just a moment. You know, just as a mother loves her children and is constantly ready to kiss every boo-boo, tie every shoe, wipe every bottom, I want you to know that the Lord is even more capable and willing to do the same for us. There comes a time when we have to grow up and we learn to tie our own shoes and we learn to shake off the scratch and we learn to clean up after ourselves. And greatest of all, is when we learn to have a face-to-face relationship with mom and dad. See, we begin to concern ourselves with them. We begin to find out what makes them happy. And if we really mature... We seek to do things that please them with no parent benefit to us. In worship, this is called seeking the face of God. It is an attitude of going face to face with God only to see him. Only to experience his presence. Only to find out more of what brings pleasure to his heart. This is what I'm calling apostolic worship. It is worship focused on being face to face with God and lavishing our love and our devotion upon him. Only for the purpose of giving God what he deserves. It is growing up and loving God for who he is instead of just for what he can do for me. I mean, imagine how it feels when that certain someone calls you on the phone or starts walking towards you at Walmart. And you know that this person is only interested in taking something from you. Will you please pray for me? I need some help financially. Will you give me a ride? Imagine how that feels when that's the, that is the, the, the defining characteristic of your relationship with that person. 
Now, what would happen if that same person offered to come and wash your car? Or what if they offered to come and mow your yard for nothing? Maybe take you out to lunch. What would that do for the relationship that you had with that person? It would suddenly become a two-way road. It would be a two-way road of give and take instead of a one-way road where you are always giving and they are always taking. Now, I thank God that he doesn't wear out from my neediness. I thank him for that. But I'm growing up. And I want to bless him. I want to give him something that costs me something. There's a story about King David. He was told to go and buy a piece of property from another person and, and offer a sacrifice there. And David approached the guy and said, I need to buy your property. I have to sacrifice to the Lord. I have to worship him here. And the guy knew it was the king. He's like, hey, it's all yours. Take my property, here's my, here's my, my ox, here's the, the plowshare, take everything, break it up, bust it up, it's all yours. And this is his response in 2 Samuel. The king replied to Aaronin, and he says, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Apostolic worship is about us as a church shifting from seeking the hand or the arm exclusively and moving into seeking the face of God. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Paul's telling us that our call to worship is to give God, to give God everything. Mark chapter 12 Verse 29 says, Jesus was asked, what's the most important law? Tell us. Jesus says, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. the greatest commandment. And I ask you, how many of us came today and worshiped God with all our strength? How many of us came this morning and pushed aside every distraction? Every distraction in our mind and we worshiped the Lord with every thought. How many of this morning dealt with the offense that's in our heart against our brother? Before we came and we were able to worship God with all of our soul. How many of us came and worshiped this morning and lavished every affection? Every affection of our heart upon him. 
I tell you, church, we've got to grow up into this kind of worship. David is our architect for worship, and this is what he said in Psalm 27, verse 4. He said, one thing. Everybody say one thing. Everybody say one thing. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him and his temple. Now, if you jump down to verse 8, he says, my heart says of you, Seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. You see, deep in our spirit, man, deep in our spirit, man, there is a cry to be face to face with the Lord. Unfortunately, we seldom hear that cry. Because we live in our soul and in our emotions all the time. Now listen in verse 3 of 24. Psalm 24, verse 3, it says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation who seeks him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. You see, there is a special reward for those who seek the face of God in intimacy. In fact, let's go back to Psalm 27 and read some of that benefit of being a person of one thing. Again, in verse 4, it says, One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Verse 5, here's the result of that lifestyle. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. And he will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above my enemies and those who surround me. At his tabernacle, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. And I will sing and I will make music to the Lord. When we make the first and greatest commandment of loving God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. When we make that first, when we take it. And we live it. Transformation begins to happen on the inside of us. When we make it a priority, whether it's individually, both individually and corporately. When we make it a priority to intentionally go face to face with the Lord, a deep, deep work starts to happen in your heart. Maturity starts to happen. It begins to take hold of our lives. You see, victoriousness takes the place of victimization because you've been lifted high. When we break into face-to-face intimacy with the Lord, even the way we see ourselves changes. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 18, it says, But we all, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory to glory to glory. 
just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, here's the thing. You do not get this kind of transformation when you navel gaze. What's wrong with me? No one likes me. No one helps me. Woe is me. Moving from glory to glory doesn't happen when your needs and wants and desires are what defines your relationship and your worship with the Lord. I'm going to say that again. Moving from glory to glory does not happen when your needs, your wants, your desires are the definition of your relationship and your worship with the Lord. So how do we shift? Well, as a worship team, we are working to shift how we lead worship. We are, we are working towards a more heaven-centered, God-centered worship time. We're focusing more on seeing our love to God. We're working at describing Him and His beauty. And that He is worthy of that love and adoration. And this is our invitation to you on Sunday mornings when the band strikes it up. We invite you to join with us as we declare these good things of God. When we talk about the beauty and sing of the beauty of the holiness of God, sing with us. When we talk about his great love, sing with us. When we say he's holy, sing with us. Give yourself to going face to face with him. Lavish your love upon him and make him the center of your attention in this space and time. But what about Monday through Saturday? Well, here are some simple steps to help move your focus from your needs to him number one take 15 minutes every day to be with God write that down 15 minutes every day to be with God I don't care what it takes. Either put a chair in front of you and pretend he's sitting there or just close your eyes and get a mental picture of his face. Not at the back of the room, right here. Get a mental picture of his face. And when you have that picture, begin to tell him, how much you love him. Tell him what he means to you. Tell him what qualities about him excite you. Pour out words of affirmation and love upon him. As you look into his eyes, as you look into his eyes and you see him face to face, pour out your love. Number two, next thing you're going to do is open your Bible. And you're going to find the Lord in the scriptures. I suggest you read the gospels and see the Lord. 
I encourage you to read through the Psalms and begin to discover the character of God. Make note of what you see in him and tell him, I love you for that. I encourage you to go through Revelation chapters 1 through 3. Revelation chapters 1 through 3 contain 30 different descriptions of Jesus. There is no other place in Scripture where Jesus is revealed with more depth and diversity than in those three chapters. So find him there and talk to him about what you see. Ask him questions about why did you reveal yourself that way? One of those descriptions is he's the alpha. He's the omega. Read that and go, I love that you're the beginning and the end of everything. You're the beginning of my faith. You're the end of my faith. You're the beginning of my day, and you're the end of my day. Thank you, God. Why? Why are you the Alpha and Omega? Show me something new. Reveal to me something else that you're the beginning and the end of. He might just say, I'm the end of your depression. He might say, I'm the end of your pride. You might say, I'm the beginning of your deliverance. Who knows what he's going to say? That's the joy of a relationship with him. And the last thing. Listen to a worship song that reveals God. And sing your heart out to him. If you got the guts, make up your own song. Sing about the glory of God. And sing it to him. Serenade the Lord face to face. When you worship God... Through singing and music, I want you to know it touches your soul quicker and it brings transformation. So if you will commit to do these three simple things, you will see change happen in your life in the next six months. And if you want to speed it up, add some fasting. And you will really see some transformation start to happen. We need to shift. It's a minor one. Our attention and our focus on Sunday mornings and through the week needs to move from our needs, our wants, and our desires. And needs to move towards telling the Lord, I love you. You're the best thing that ever happened in my life. Stand with me. God has been so good and gracious to Give us tastes of his glory. I believe that this is a critical step to release more of the Lord's glory here. I believe that if we can grow up and move from children who are always needing something and we become 
mature ones who come to give something, the glory of the Lord will come in even greater manifestation. When we move from having to cheerlead you into the presence of God and instead you come running into it, something will happen in this place. God's glory will show up in ways we've never yet experienced. So let's pray. Father, Father, we we turn our hearts to you right now. We look at you face to face, your eyes blazing with fire, your hair white as wool. You stand alone, God. You stand above everyone all powers and authority in the earth, you stand above and beyond. And I love you for that, God. I love you for being a king who's worthy of worship. I love you for being a king above every other king. I love you for being a Lord above every other Lord. I love you for being faithful and for being true. You are the beginning and the end of everything, and I love you for it. You are Emmanuel, God with us. And I love you that you are a God who comes to his people and allows us to experience the glory of your presence. And I ask God for more glory, God, more revelation more understanding God oh we pray again Lord the spirit of revelation be upon our hearts as we look to you as we gaze upon you and your beauty give us the spirit of revelation that we might see you for who you really are that you might throw down every pretense of what we think we know of you God and you reveal yourself the way you truly are. Messiah, anointed one, the Christ. And I pray, God, that you help us Monday through Saturday to spend just 15 minutes with you. Just 15 minutes looking into your face. Looking into the scripture and seeing you there. Singing our love and our adoration to you, God. I ask you, God, to give us strength. Only by your Holy Spirit will we know you. Only by your, your Holy Spirit will we learn of you. Only by your Holy Spirit will we be able to come up higher. So fill us, fill us. Fill us, fill us with your spirit. Fill us, fill us, fill us with revelation from your Holy Spirit. Fill us, fill us, fill us with understanding. That we might understand the comparably, incomparably great riches. That the power that you've made available to us, God. That we might know you and the Father who sent you. That is our prayer today. That is our cry. To put ourselves aside and to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to you, God. Oh, God, help us. We love you, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. We love you, we love you, God. Again, I pray, God, give us strength. Monday through Saturday, God, give us strength. Give us strength to seek your face and not just your hand. Give us help to see you, God, 
to be changed from glory to glory to glory. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for being only takers. We want to be givers, God. Release revelation into our hearts today, God. These are just words, God, unless you release revelation of this truth. Unless you release revelation that we are a people to be a people of one thing. As we call a generation to be a people of one thing, we must model it. We must exemplify it. We must embody it, God. Help us today, God. Help us in Jesus' name. We're going to keep the music on. I'm going to call the prayer team forward. If you want some prayer, you have something? Okay. Sit tight. Give it. I just hear a prophetic declaration from going from baby bottles to, gr to hand grenades that um, we as a body, we, there's a rededication, I hear the Lord saying, is a rededication of ourself. And that um, the word says that we do not struggle with, we struggle with principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness. And as we're doing this rededication, I feel like as well that we need to come against the enemy. We're no longer going to allow him to come and, and take us or, or convince us to be selfish, to, um, to look at our navel. The thoughts of, um, you know, they don't like me. When those thoughts come, we need to cast those down and give to the feet of Jesus. We don't, we don't ponder these thoughts any longer. This is a growing up and a maturing so I just want to say a prayer, if you guys will just follow along with me. Father God, Father God, please forgive me. Please forgive me for being selfish. For being selfish. Take my life, Lord. Take my life, Lord. Grow me up. Grow me up. Do something with my life. Do something with my life. Give me eyes to see. Give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. Give me ears to hear. What the Spirit of God is saying. What the Spirit of God is saying. Satan. Satan. I bind you. I bind you. Over my life. Over my life. Over my family. Over my family. And in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name. I draw a line in the sand. I draw a line in the sand. I will no longer serve you. I will no longer serve you. I will follow the Lord. I will follow the Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We're going to call the altar team forward. If you'd like some prayer with them, feel free. If you want to bring a friend and you just come to the altar and spend some time before God, do that. If you want someone to pray for you. Bring them with you. God bless you. Enjoy your connect groups this week.